Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The 2023 Supercast field looks to be set with Matstone Racing confirming Cam Hill as Todd Hazelwood's replacement. The Formula Ford and Carrera Cup champion will be paired with Jack LeBrock at MSR and will be one of two rookies on the grid next season. There could still be 26 cars on the grid for the opening round of the 2023 Supercast season with Peter Adderton working on a multi-round wildcard for Richie Stanaway. His plan includes Stanaway driving a Triple Eight supported entry with Newcastle, Bathurst and the Gold Coast the preferred events. Adderton is also expecting Stanaway to take part in pre-season testing in the Camaro that he has bought from Triple Eight. That testing, meanwhile, has been delayed until just six weeks out from the season opener. Teams won't run their own Gen 3 cars until late January, with testing to be split across a shakedown, a full test day at either Winton or Queensland Raceway, and then an all-in test at Sydney Motorsport Park. The New Zealand Grand Prix will return next January after being cancelled this year. Hampton Downs will host the GP on the first weekend in February as part of a five-round Castrol Toyota Racing Series schedule. The first entry has been lodged for the 2023 Bathurst 12-hour. Mante Racing from Germany and EMA Motorsport from here in Australia will team up to run an all-pro lineup in a Porsche. And Daniel Ricciardo looks set to return to Red Bull Racing next season in a reserve driver role. Join me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate that is still in shock that he missed out in the MSR drive, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you? Hello, Andrew. You always make it sound like I don't have a job and I'm just desperately mm. looking for another gig. I know, not a fan ambassador, not an MSR driver, just a uh, just a podcast co-host, Stefan. But you know, there's there's worse things to be. But anyway, let's crack on with you know discussing what should be the final piece of the grid puzzle for 2023. Save for any drama at I don't know BJR or Tickford or something like that. Uh, Cam Hill has been confirmed in the 35 number 35 Camaro at MSR. For next season, Stefan, no great surprise. It became clear back on the Gold Coast weekend that he was the man that MSR wanted. With these seats, there's always that sort of talk about who's bringing what in terms of budget. But, you know, Cam is a Formula 4 champ. He's a career cup champ. He's a front runner in Super 2 in what is actually his rookie season in a supercar. I honestly think that he more than deserves his shot in the main game. Yeah, absolutely. He's earned his spot with those results and I think the fact he's had to bring some money to the deal is a blight on the series rather than Cam himself, but good on him for making it work and it's really the perfect time for him to step in with uh, with Gen 3 coming online. Yeah, I totally uh, agree with um we have seen, you know, in the past when you have a generation shift in cars that rookie drivers sort of uh maybe don't have a leg up but don't have that Leg backwards, is that a saying? I don't know. <laughs> they don't have that disadvantage, that inherent disadvantage coming in. So, uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Anyway, I grabbed Cam for a quick chat about his impending promotion to the main game, and here's what he had to say. 
Uh, Cam Hill, tell us how this whole deal came about with Matt Stone Racing. I mean, there was a lot of talk about, you know, Declan and there was talk about Jaden and all these names and it really wasn't until the Gold Coast when I was chasing this story pretty hard that your name started coming up. Was it sort of, you know, were you sort of off the radar a little bit putting this deal together? Yeah, you were you were right on the money, uh, AVL, at, <laughs> at Gold Coast. Um, I think you could smell there was a bit of blood in the water, but... Um, Look, I um, I'd been chatting with um, Matt from you know earlier in the year. Um, firstly, you know when I was hunting for a bit of a co-drive, and you know there was plenty of dialogue there. And but then I had the opportunity to jump in um, with Premier, which was a really great experience. And then um, yeah, not long after Bathurst, I just sort of kept touching base, and and they were working on some sponsorship deals, and uh, they said, look, you know when 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 all these come off, that that's when we'll know which way we can go, and um, it, it actually worked out for for the good. And they sort of rang me not long after that and said, "Yeah, we've we we can choose who we want to choose, and, and you're the guy." So, yeah, it went went quite well. I mean, it's um you don't have a, a heap of experience in a supercar. This was your first year racing a supercar, but your CV is like remarkable. You know, Formula Four champion, Carrera Cup champion. Was it a case of like? this is the time to do it? Like the time is now to step up and, and have a crack at the main game? For sure. I definitely circled uh, 2023 uh, and the introduction of Gen 3 as the year to do it. Um, you know, having learned from other categories that I've sort of stepped into, you know, if you join a category when you're already a few years behind, uh, everyone else driving the same cars, it, it can take a little while to, to, to bridge the gap. So, yeah, I definitely sort of looked at, um, you know, next year and certainly with all the other racing I've done I sort of thought I'm I'd be well prepared and in a good position to to make a good goal of it what is the rough goal for next season there's two rookies in the field yourself and Matt Payne like you say that gen 3 transition can potentially help we saw in 2013 when car of the future came in that the, the rookies there sort of yeah like as you say didn't have that that they weren't that step behind what do you sort of see as a as a pass mark for next season I think look you know, a, a pass mark would, you know, probably be, um, you know, top 15. You know, if I was in the top 15 at the end of the year, I would say that that, that would be a success. But, um, you know, race car drivers, we all, we all want to, you know, win races. So, look, I think, you know, I'll be putting my best foot forward and, and um, you know, seeing, seeing what we can make of, of this opportunity that we have in, in uh, what is essentially a level playing field. Do you have you spent much time with Jack LeBrock? Do you know him reasonably well? Uh, I've um, spent a little bit of time with him now. Um, I've been up and I visited the shop and met the team, and um, we get along really, really well. And I'm sort of looking forward to to working with him as you know he's got um, some some years of experience now that I can probably really um, lean on. So um, yeah, it's great to have a a teammate uh, like Jack and. Um, I think we'll we'll work well together. Before we get to 2023, there's still one race left, or one round left for you for 2022. Uh, last round of Super Two in Adelaide, you're still in the title hunt there. What's the uh, what's the aim going to Adelaide? It's a it's a big commitment circuit. Are you going to go there and have a swing at it? Oh, look, I, I'll I'll probably go there and and yeah, try finish the year off on a high. Um, it's a track that I've been to a few times in in Carrera Cup and. Um, a track that I really enjoy, like it's quite challenging. So 
I might have a little bit of an edge there on some of the other guys. Uh, I'm not sure how many of them have all been to Adelaide. So um, definitely try to use that to my advantage. And, you know, if I can be on the top step of the podium uh, and score strong points, you never know what could happen in the championship. And we thank Cam for his time there. Okay, Stefan, we're bumping the Castrol mailbag up the order a bit this week because it's a bit of an extended Q&A. We've gone and got the biggest mailbag we could possibly find. Uh, listeners, you've asked the questions and we have answered them, so let's crack into it. Uh, we'll start with this one from Matthew Davis, Stefan. He says, a couple of years ago, there was a proposal for a street circuit in Geelong for supercars. Has there been any more developments or did COVID kill it off? Stefan, I reckon this was Back in about 2014 when this came up, the city of Greater Geelong was into it. They were Supercast was into the idea as well, but it needed a bit of state government backing, and I'm guessing that was the hurdle that tripped it up. Uh, that was at the height of your uh, news-breaking power at Speed Cafe. Is that, that's pretty much what happened, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there was a push for a Geelong street race in the early 80s, and then uh, this other one that you're talking about in sort of that 2014, 2016 period, and like with a lot of these ones, you get the local council excited and on board, but then the state government has to actually sweep in and, and fund it. It lives or dies based on that. And the push, I think, around Geelong was timed with the closing of the Ford plant and it's sort of needing something to rejuvenate the area. But in Victoria, it's obviously there's so much government funding goes into Alba Park each year. It's, it's really yeah. hard for supercars to sell a street race of its own. So I think if you look at the current situation, what they really need is some Victorian government investment in a permanent facility, not, a, uh, not another street race. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, Matthew Deer asks if we can name the track that the engine audio from the Thomas Randall Castrol ad that plays during our pod comes from. Matthew reckons he can. I'm thinking, Stefan, that it might be the last two corners at Winton and then onto the straight and then into the into the S's at the start of that lap. That would be my guess, having listened to it probably too many times uh, this morning. But I could well be wrong. Uh, Stefan, do you have any do you have any different ideas of what it could be? Well, I'm probably not the best one to ask because I do try to avoid listening back to these podcasts at all costs. But um, oh yeah, I skip straight to the ad. Don't worry about that. We uh, we did talk about this before uh, before recording, and you sent Tommy Randall a message to see if he uh, if he knows. So if he replies before the end of the show, we'll be able to tell you. Um, I just got a text, and it's abs- oh no, it is. Uh, if it sounded like I was in the race car, then we nailed it. There's the answer. So he wasn't in the race car. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, because we did think if it was recorded in the car, it probably would have been Winton. But um, yeah, that's uh, uh, there's some good live info coming in as we record. Uh, anyway, if you well, I think Matthew should let us know if he he seems to be on top of what it is. So uh, it would be good if uh, if you could. You could tell us if we're right or if we are very, very wrong. All right. David Robert uh, David Roberts asks, should supercars allow only tyre changes to take place once refuelling is done during pit stops to open up different strategies? Stefan, what do you reckon? I'm not sure potentially bringing more tyre management into play would do anything but bring a big smile to Shane Van Gisbergen's face. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something that's been on the radar, so I've not really thought about it too much but with something like this i don't think it'd shake it up too much because there'd still be an optimal strategy that the teams would all sort of gravitate towards so it just sort of cancels itself out in that situation and it's also it'd just be another rule that needs policing you know whether you have the crew start in the garage and run out or or if they're waiting beside the car before they can change the tires it's just all more rules that need to be monitored and uh, there's probably too many of those already 
Yeah, and I guess there is another question regarding, you know, refueling and stuff coming up later. I suppose at the moment when we're doing so little refueling during the course of a season, it's kind of a mood point to some extent anyway when we have this focus on the sprint race format for so much of the year. Uh, next one comes from Chris Morley. He has a question for me, actually. Uh, he asked what happened to the Below the Bonnet podcast and laments that nobody won the co-driver cup this year that is definitely a great shame about the co-driver cup i really love that thing um but with one enduro it didn't make much sense i suppose with the sandown 500 back next year maybe we need the casual co-driver cup on this podcast Stefan. i know you love your alliteration so that should definitely uh float your boat what do you reckon yeah so the co-driver cup that you guys were running it was the dedicated um co-driver sessions would yep. all score points Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's nothing to do with the actual races that have uh, co-drivers in them. So I got our good friend Connor O'Brien to run the numbers on what was one Sandown practice session and then the two co-driver sessions at Bathurst. Yep. And uh, Jamie Winkup and Fabian Coulthard actually tied on points if you apply the sprint race points to those oh, three wow. sessions. And Jamie uh, unofficially wins it for 2022 based on having topped that session at Sandown. So uh, it's uh, if anything could be more unofficial than the co-driver cup you were running, this is it. This <laughs> very well. Look, I think we should make it official next year. Let's let's bring it back. Let's put that on the whiteboard for next year. Um, as for below the bonnet, Chris, uh, from your question, uh, it was just mostly a circumstantial thing that it's kind of not happening anymore. Uh, Caruso is super busy with his post supercars career. Reynolds is still very busy with his ongoing supercars career. And here I am still talking rubbish, but doing it with Stefan instead and significantly less concerned about a libel suit each week, which is, you know, definitely uh, one little bonus. Shane Sawyer asks, what would you do to lift the profile of the Speed Series? It feels like everything is there to make it at least a good show like Super 2 and the Thunderdome the 1990s, which had uh, their blaze. I agree, Shane. I think the Speed Series does definitely have its place, but profile is always going to be an issue with the current broadcast deal where it's kind of tucked away on Stan Sport there. Uh, Stefan, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I think Stan Sport or not, like profile is an issue because it's second-tier motorsport. Like it's yep. hard enough for supercars to generate a lot of genuine interest and draw crowds at most events outside the, the really big street races, of course. But, yeah, I mean, really there's no one answer, but certainly if they had more star drivers in their hero category, which is TCR, I think that would generate more interest and that's exactly why supercars and its teams are so sensitive about that sort of stuff happening. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess another sort of take on it is that like, yes, a bit more profile would be good, but it's okay to have a second tier thing that isn't splashed all over the back of the newspaper or drawing tens of thousands of people through the gate all the time. I mean, there's second tier football leagues under the AFL that, you know, don't have the profile of the AFL. That's kind of just how the world works. It works. As you say, it's it's second tier, largely amateur motor racing. So, you know, maybe it just needs to be what it is. Uh, Chris Williams asks, in a perfect world, how many different manufacturers would be the right number to have in the Supercars Championship? I think three committed manufacturers would be huge. That was a formula that worked so well for the DTM uh, in its most recent heyday. Uh, I don't think you want half-assed programs, a bit like we saw with the Mercedes-AMG thing. I think three or maybe four, I mean, ideally even four committed enthusiastic manufacturers would be unreal. Anything beyond that is just so unlikely 
to actually happen. So three to four, as long as you've got two, you've got a race, three to four, obviously even better, anything beyond that, I just can't ever see happening. Stefan, your thoughts? Yeah, well, it was a perfect world question. So I think the answer is just the more, the merrier. But um, yeah, at at the moment, it just feels like we're lucky to have two and a third really isn't on the horizon. If you look at Walkinshaw, Andre United couldn't get one. So there's, uh, yeah, there's nothing doing at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Uh, Sebastian DiSalvo asks, when are we going to see the 2023 Supercars calendar? Well, Sebastian, it should be this week. Um, That is the plan, but it has been the plan before and not happened. So it could be by the time you listen to this podcast, it's already out. Uh, It could be, it could come out six weeks before the start of next season. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I think what we're, there's no huge surprises coming. There's a bit of talk that there could be, I think New Zealand's not going to happen. Um, I think the bend will almost definitely replace New Zealand. Uh, on the schedule now, where exactly that falls is uh, not entirely um, clear, but it seems uh, like um, Sandown may end up as the the uh, precursor to Bathurst after all, but it will have to be early September because um, the Speed Series has that middle September date at Sandown locked in, and they are not changing. I just had confirmation on my phone just then um, that that is absolutely not changing. So um, it will have to be early September if it is just before Bathurst and we'd probably see a late August slot for the bend. Obviously, with the cars not going to New Zealand, there's not the freight issue. So you could have the bend uh, and Sandown fairly close to each other uh, or they go back to plan A, which was Sandown in in sort of mid to late uh, August and the bend in uh, mid-September. So we'll see exactly how that plays out once the calendar is out, perhaps this week. Such a shame uh, not returning to New Zealand. I really hope they can get a deal done for 2024. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of disappointed Kiwis uh, about that. Yeah, absolutely. And surely that is that has to be the plan to go back in 2024. I can understand that trying to get it shifted um, for next year might have been a bit tight. There is a fair bit to sort um, with a whole bunch of stuff. We've been through it all before. The funding, the government funding or the state level funding, the uh, traffic management at Hampton Downs and all this sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, hopefully for 2024, we're back there because I think it's a very important round for our category. Uh, this is a good question here, Stefan. Lachlan Freeman asked that, given you and I both into sim racing, what is the one fantasy track that we'd like to see made in real life? Now, I should just say that Stefan and I are definitely at the, at the kind of social end of the sim racing ladder. You won't find us uh, locking horns with supercars drivers or Max Verstappen on iRacing. We are... Uh, PlayStation guys uh, who do it for a bit of fun on a Friday night. But, look, I'm going to go with the – and I've no idea how to actually pronounce this, but the Bannock Bray Road Course on Project Cars 2. Uh, that is one wild ride, particularly when we're having our Group A touring car nights. Stefan, I really enjoy that one. Well, what do you reckon? There's a nice long straight on that one for the Sierra to get oh, uh, yeah. pretty wound up. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't actually run too many of the fictitious tracks. Um, so – not really sure, but certainly uh, we don't do our racing. But there is a track on there called Oran Park that sounds like uh, <laughs> one I'd like to see in real life. So I'll go with that. Uh, yes, that would be um, that would be uh, great memories there. Uh, okay, Ollie Rees asks what our favourite non-shootout qualifying format for supercars is. Stefan, you can have a crack at this one first. What gets you going when it comes to de- determining a pole? Um. 
I don't mind the knockout format. I think that's quite good, but they just need to get rid of more cars in Q1. Yeah. That segment always seems like a bit of a waste of time and uh, the usual suspects tend to drop out. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, whatever it is, I just like the segments to be short and sharp. Like 10 minutes for a session is absolutely heaps. And we've kind of got that We've got that fairly well set up in supercars because the knockout has those short sessions and then we have the back-to-back sessions, that t- which I quite enjoy as well. Um, sort of seeing, you know, seeing who can get it done in those back-to-back sessions. Uh, Daniel Madsen asks if having smaller fuel tanks in supercars would improve the racing with more strategic options for sprint rounds. Well, as I said before, until we get refueling back for sprint rounds, if we ever do, it obviously won't make much difference. And in the shorter races, you'd always be pretty hemmed in with strategy anyway. I think you sort of mentioned that before. And unfortunately, in the days of modern engineering uh, and data collection and analysis and all that stuff, uh, you know, engineers do tend to work out the fastest way from lights out to checkered flag, uh, and it tends to often look reasonably similar unless you have someone like Shane Van Gisbergen that can work wonders with tyres. Uh, Stefan, what you, what's your take on this one? Yeah, well, I mean, with the fuel racing that we see in the 200 and the 250K races, they uh, that some team owners are still clinging to having to have this minimum fuel drop rule oh, in no. there. So they'd need to scrap that along with running a smaller tank. Um, and then, yeah, something it could add a bit to the to the sprint races, but unfortunately there's also then that lambda rule too, which means you can't map the engine lean to save fuel. So yeah, it really would just be a driver thing where you could go a bit harder or save and then your and then your stop time is, is shorter or longer depending on how you run it. So yeah, they, they would need to unpick a couple of things they currently do, but for sure, there's uh, some potential for it to create uh, create interest if you uh, ignore then some of the logistical costs that they're trying to save now by not actually having fuel racing. Yep, as you say, perfect world, but it could potentially work. Uh, Zach Dow asks if Supercar should have an Indy Lights inspired scholarship for the Super Two champion that perhaps includes a multiple wildcard deal if they don't find a full time seat. Um, well, I guess the first issue with that is who is going to pay for it. Uh, and the second thing is, and we kind of touched on this before, but you know, the whole, this whole super two promotion thing, I, I actually think that, you know, it's the cost of super two that is a huge issue with this. Um, supercars doesn't actually need to incentivize doing super two anymore because it forces you to do it. If you want a super license. Um, I think if the primary goal is getting good talent, into supercars, opening the door to guys racing in other categories that can't afford Super 2 would be a great step forward, really, in terms of making sure that we have fresh talent coming into the sport. I don't think we need to necessarily um, – it's not about making sure the Super 2 champion has somewhere to go. It's about getting the right talent in supercars, regardless of what they've done before, in my opinion. Stefan, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, the, the funding side is an issue every step of the way, really. Um, whether you're trying to get into Super 2 or, or get into the main game. But going back to the scholarship thing, like we got very close to this at the end of 2019 mm, when Supercars yep. announced, they actually announced a 400K scholarship to fund the Super 2 winner into a full-time Supercars main game drive the following year. But then that was all unpicked pretty quickly uh, due to COVID in, in 2020 and hasn't resurfaced since. So, yeah, I mean, they could like sort of give – the Super 2 winner or the front runners priority when it comes to dishing out wild cards for, for the following year. Yeah. Like that's something that wouldn't actually cost them money and there are limited slots 
um, and a fair bit of demand for wildcards at the moment. And then obviously you'd have to actually fund the, the wildcard yourself as the driver. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't really think it's the category's place to yeah try to co-fund drives for for anyone whether you win super two or not i think that's that's really just trying to put a band-aid on what the actual issue is and that's uh, obviously the cost of going racing is too high yeah for sure but even if it wasn't you know if you took the cost thing out if a team wanted to go and field nathan hearn next year and they tested him somewhere and he was lightning quick they can't do it because he doesn't have the super license points because he hasn't done super two and to me that is definitely an issue as well uh, okay, Troy Summerfield asks if the proposed Canberra Street Circuit is dead in the water. Have you heard anything more about this, Stefan? It has definitely gone pretty quiet, and Canberra certainly isn't on the 2023 schedule. What do you reckon? No, the fact that it's gone so quiet speaks uh, volumes really with this one. It was a bit different um, compared to, say, what we're talking about before with Geelong because this was actually a third party that floated it rather than yeah. supercars or the local government. And supercars kind of came out and gave it some cautious support, but that was about it. And, and as you say, it's gone, uh, gone a bit quiet since, but at least uh, for those in Canberra, they're actually going to have a driver on the grid to, to cheer for next year. So with Cam Hill, so that's something. Absolutely. Uh, Grant Van Kylenberg asks if we see the planned Calder Park improvements coming to fruition. What do you reckon, Stefan? I know you're a big Calder Park fan. <laughs> I have no reason to doubt what Rodney Jane and his team have put out there in terms of hosting Motorsport Australia indoor circuit racing again, which uh, will be fantastic. Like They've already started work. Um, they've resurfaced the drag strip and there's been Motorsport Australia safety inspections undertaken on the on the main road course there. But from what Rodney said, they're going to build it back up slowly and they're going to be doing it with their own money. So I think we're all going to have to be a bit patient with it, whether it's ready to host Vic State Series by the end of the year, like some people want it to, um, yeah, it remains to be seen. Yeah, look, the thing with all of this stuff is if there's someone there with the money to do it, then it can definitely happen. And in this case, that definitely, you know, we look at all these proposals for new circuits that we've seen over the last however long, and the one that got built was the Bend because the Shahins spent the money and built the circuit, uh, as opposed to sitting around waiting for a government to come along and fund something on the promise of bringing some category whatever. Um, so, yeah, this definitely falls into that category of, you know, the, the funding should be there to actually make it happen. Hopefully, when they're done with, Cal with Calder, the Janes will start on um, – or Rodney will start on uh, Adelaide International Raceway, Stefan. Wouldn't that be good to get the get the mini the mini dome up and running again? <laughs> Absolutely. How good would that be? Yeah, uh, I don't think they're going to touch the Thunderdome in this Calder, um, Calder rebuild. But, no, get the ball uh, we'll ring. See. Get the ball ring at AIR going, I say. That would be uh, that would be great. I'm all for it. While we're spending other people's money, <laughs> it is. We're very good at that. We are. We are. We do it every week in our my105.com segment. Anyway, uh, Mark Hendry asks: With Premier Racing having two solid drivers for next season, do you think they will be challenging for podiums or wins and be one of the dark horses? Uh, well, it's a long shot, but in the early part of the season, who knows? With this heavily condensed testing schedule for Gen 3 cars, there will be a lot of learning on the fly going on. And I don't think you can actually rule anyone out from stumbling across a setup that works uh, and looking like a hero um, pretty uh, pretty early on in the season. It'll all stabilise at some point, but we could definitely – I spoke to Tim Edwards about this last week. We could definitely see some some pretty wild results thrown up as, as guys sort of – 
try and work out how these cars actually function. I think if you took that randomness out of it, if we were still racing Gen 2 cars next season, I wouldn't think Premier would be ready to be competing for wins just yet. There's probably a fair bit of growth that still needs to happen in the team to take it to the real big dogs. Uh, Stefan, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair summary. They're, uh, they're actually the only customer that's going to get complete cars built at Triple Eight, So they should start the year with great equipment and their drivers are pretty known quantities. But um, yeah, where they'll be week to week is very hard to read as it is with pretty much all teams at the moment. And with Premier, we don't know the full scope of uh, their crew and their engineering lineup yet, which is going to be very important for uh, getting speed out of these cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica Payne asks if DJR has the driver lineup it needs to really take the fight to Triple Eight and Shane Van Gisbergen. Stefan, what do you reckon? Ooh, that's a uh, that's a tough one. I mean, at the moment the answer is no, but no one does because no, Shane, exactly. Shane's just on another level. So yeah. unless you can clone him, the answer is going to be no. But yeah, I mean, looking at DJR at the moment, it, unfortunately, it's turned into an underwhelming season for Anton. Hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, with where they're at in their careers and the structure within the team, Anton should not be being beaten by Will Davison. There's no getting away from that. That is the absolute reality of the situation. And I honestly think we need to see Anton take that next step soon if he wants to sort of cement himself in that absolute top group of drivers. Uh, not to say he's no good, but if you want to be in that top group, he needs to take that step and it needs to be next season. Uh, Gordon Anderson asks, which driver will win a Supercars Championship first out of Mostert, Waters, or Feeney? Uh, that's a great question, Gordon. I think Brock will be a work in progress for a while. Um, and it's hard to split the other two. They're both so fast uh, on their day, but just don't have the car underneath them regularly enough, um, whether that's a case of not always being able to to, to – nail the setup in terms of feedback, whether that's just the team can't provide them that. It just doesn't happen regularly enough. Um, it would be really fascinating to see who would piece together a title-winning season given the hard way to do it, and perhaps Gen 3 will be that opportunity. So I, I honestly can't split them. Stefan, have you have you got an answer on this one? Could you split it between Mostert and Waters, or, or do you reckon Feeney could be the man? Oh, I think it's um – yeah, just like you say, Brock's probably still got a little way to go and uh, Gen 3 is going to be a big opportunity for, for Chaz there at Walkinshaw and, and Cam at Tickford to um, try to try to get a title. But, yeah, I mean, splitting them so hard. Like when you look at the recent form and the way Chaz and Adam DeBore have, have built with Walkinshaw over the last couple of years, they are looking stronger and stronger. Yeah. So if if you had to go with one, I know there's big change there with um, Walkinshaw's going to Ford. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think that they're, they're building pretty well. And uh, I would say I feel like they've got more more championship potential in them than, uh, than Tickford. Good on you for getting off the fence, Stefan. I, I couldn't do it. I was stuck stuck there on the pine, but you've gone and got it done. So uh, Someone had to do it. No, I, no, I appreciate it. I, thank you for doing it. Okay. Colin Weber asks, if the Bend is getting a raw deal given the money that's been invested there as it may be overlooked uh, for 2023 and what the right number of rounds is given 12 to 14 seems tight. Um, well, as I mentioned before, it looks like the Bend will be on the calendar next year, but only, only because New Zealand is 
sort of fallen over. And I'm not sure Sam Shaheen will be wrapped about that um, as he talked earlier this year about wanting to feel the love a little bit more from supercars. And I don't think uh, being number one sub and copping in either <laughs> late August or mid-September <laughs> trip out there where the weather is unlikely to be really good um, – is going to be all that pleasing to him, although I'm sure it's better than nothing. Um, at the same time, he's not owed anything by supercars. The venue has to be enticing for the category um, as well. Uh, as for the number of rounds, 12 is definitely tight. I think 14 would be about right. Obviously, we have to think about the fact that you know there's a human cost to traveling to these rounds and, and doing this, and we've seen... You know, Formula One and MotoGP pretty much abandon that entirely and go, nut, too bad. You guys are just going to work day and night uh, all, all year round. Uh, Stefan, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, with the Bend, it's, it's private enterprise, which is something that uh, its owners are very good at. Yep. Um, so for sure, Supercars does not owe them anything. I, I think Supercars owes the South Australian fan base in terms of going there at least once a year, but... That problem's uh, sorted now with the Adelaide 500 mm -hmm. coming back. So I think you've got to keep in mind with the Bend that um, it's it's independently promoted, that event. When the Bend hosts supercars, they're the promoter. It's not a supercars run event like so many of them are. So with that the case, I think the Bend will continue to have this push-pull relationship that it's had with supercars since it started. Yeah, and that obviously explains why they would desperately want better weather windows and that sort of stuff as well when, you know, the event is sort of surviving on getting people out there. Uh, Sam Wan asks if Supercar should consider running some rounds biannually to ease the calendar squeeze that we were just talking about. Stefan, what do you reckon? Well, we're in late November 2022 and we don't have a 2023 calendar yet, so <laughs> I'm not sure if they're locking in too many 2024 events at this point. But Maybe that's what I they're mean, doing. Maybe it's a two-part calendar. Oh, wow, like announcing two World Cup hosts at once. Yeah, that, sure. Uh, that went down well. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, this sort of model has been run like the WRC um, tried to do a bit of this, uh, but it has not really worked too well, I don't think, because you do tend to need to build these events over time and all the infrastructure and, and effort around it sort of benefits from uh, being a more consistent proposition. Or has COVID taught us that absence can make the heart grow fonder? We've seen some pretty big crowds at at events that have returned this year, Stefan. So I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there is some merit there. Who knows? But obviously, yeah, it's it's something that you have to actually be able to. Supercars has to um, has to be able to make sense of it as a promoter of events, or have as we we're talking about with the band, have the promoter on board with something like that working. Uh, here's our last question for this round of our Q and A. At least uh, James Noble asks, what the difference between TA2 and Trans Am is in Australia, and for bonus points, the differences between Aussie Trans Am and US Trans Am. Stefan, you are our resident Trans Am expert, so I'm going to handball this one straight over to you, my friend. Well, the short version is that the cars are the same. They're just two different series. Like TA2 was pre-existing in Australia, promoted by a firm called PBR. Mm -hmm. And they, they were running their national series mainly on AMRS events. And initially there was that um, uh, there was an announcement, this is going back a couple of years, of a joint venture with ARG um, to join their bill. And then ARG ended up going their own way. They got a category management agreement from Motorsport Australia to run their own separate series under the Trans Am banner. So that's um, that's why there's ended up being two. But as we've seen uh, 
cars can can go between between each one. We've seen Jet Johnson do that um, this year in particular. So um, yeah, they they just coexist at the moment. Absolutely, they do. All right, let's take a look at what's been happening around the world. Uh, Max Verstappen took his 15th win of the 2022 Formula 1 season in the finale at Abu Dhabi, uh, while Charles Leclerc finished second to still second in the championship ahead of Sergio Perez. Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth in his last race for McLaren and in Formula 1 for the foreseeable future, while Sebastian Vettel farewelled Formula 1 with 10th place. Andy Chang won the Macau Grand Prix ahead of rookie Gerard G and two-time winner Charles Leong. Uh, and the Macau GT Cup went to Mauro Engel after early leader Rafael Marchiello was ruled out with a mechanical issue. And World Superbikes returned to Phillip Island for the first time since early 2020 last weekend, with the race wins going to Jonathan Ray and Alvaro Baltista. V8 Sleuth's Will Dale was there to watch the WSBK action unfold, and I grabbed him for a chat about it. Now, Will, my spies tell me you were spotted in the Tissot Lounge over the weekend, so I'll assume you're wearing a fancy new watch today. But anyway, how was the atmosphere at Phillip Island over the weekend? I guess, you know, it's another step towards normality in this kind of post-COVID world that we're in now. <laughs> it is. It, it was actually great to be around fans at a bike race. I didn't get to MotoGP, so it was good that um, Tissot got me down for World Superbikes. And sadly, no, I don't have a new watch, but I did get to look at a couple. And they make some very nice watches too, including the Superbike-inspired T-Race Chronograph. Um, and they've been the official timekeepers in MotoGP for almost since the turn of the millennium and World Superbikes for over a decade now. And um, let me tell you, though, being in their hospitality suite on Saturday was a great place to be because Phillip Island turned on every single kind of weather condition you could expect from blazing sunshine to pouring rain and occasionally both at the same time. Who would have thought? Who would have thought weather in Victoria (laughs) and at Phillip Island in particular might be a little unpredictable? I know, right? I mean, World Superbikes is normally in February, so tail end of summer is usually beautifully warm, clear conditions, and um, sadly move it back a couple of months, and you don't get that at Phillip Island. It's a real, it was a real roulette wheel as to what we were going to get at any point. It is the uh, end of November, but or late November. I have this argument every single time when MotoGP comes around, and all the riders say, "Oh, we should be racing at a different time of year because the weather will be better." And I say, guys, it's Phillip Island. There is no time of year where you are guaranteed good weather. That's not how this joint works. Um, anyway, yeah, look, uh, uh, weather aside, uh, some decent racing to uh, – to, I mean, bikes at Phillip Island, I'd forgotten – I was at MotoGP. I'd forgotten what top-level bike racing at Phillip Island really looks like. Like, it is just spectacular. It's such a beautiful facility and such a high-speed facility, and you can see so much of the racetrack from pretty well everywhere. So you get a fair idea of what's going on in all the races – but ironically, it's, it's it's an odd thing to say considering we're talking about bike racing, but it was pit stops that decided the Saturday race because unlike MotoGP, World Superbikes has this strict one bike per rider policy to keep their costs down. So they can't have a wet weather bike ready in the pits in case it starts precipitating during the race. So if they want to swap rather if they want to swap rubber, they have to do proper tyre changes and all those proved pivotal in Saturday's wet-dry race. Now, um, newly crowned world champ Alvaro Batista, he took pole position in dry conditions in the morning's Super Bowl qualifying session. And it rained pretty heavily prior to the race that afternoon and it pretty well stopped by the time the bikes were gritting up for the actual race, but it was way too wet for slicks or even intermediates, as poor Peter Ertl found out. He started the race on intermediates and went backwards at high speed. 
but it was four bikes at the front pretty much through the first half of the race with Bautista, the Kawasaki's of Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's and Yamaha's outgoing world champion top rack Res Gaglioglu. But the track pretty quickly started to dry out and by mid-race, all the riders were starting to peel off into the pits and it was Ray and Res Gaglioglu who timed their stops to perfection. They came in together, but it was the Kawasaki crew that made a much faster stop. That was the difference in the end because Ray ran out the winner by over six seconds and that ended a 24 race win streak for, or a 24 race win drought for him, the exact opposite of a 24 race mm-hmm. win streak. Yep. Um, and <laughs> filling out the podium was his Kawasaki teammates, uh, Alex Lowe's, who had led the race prior to the pit stops, but he stayed out a couple of laps longer than everyone else and paid the price. Now, Bautista came home fifth in that race, but his Sunday was much better. He took a sweep of both the 10-lap Super Pole sprint and race two in the afternoon. And in that Super Pole race, there was rain again prior to the start, but Bautista was the only one to gamble on a slick rear tyre. He dropped from pole to be as low as 16th on the opening lap, but stormed into the lead with a couple of laps to go, um, going as much as two seconds a lap quicker than all the other riders that started on inters. And the finale was the only fully dry race of the weekend for the World Superbikes, and it was the same four from Saturday doing battle at the front, although this time no one really had the pace to make any challenge on Bautista's stick. But the race ended a couple of laps early in the end anyway after a nasty crash for poor Eugene Laverty at Doon Corner. He's got a pelvis injury and is probably going to spend a bit of extra time in hospital here before he heads back home. And unfortunately, that was going to be his last race before retiring and moving into a team management role. But um, it was a much happier Sunday for the Ducati team, much happier weekend overall because they locked up their 18th manufacturer's title on on a Saturday with Bautista's fifth place. And of course, Bautista's World Championship this year, that's the first time a Ducati rider has won the World Championship since all the way back in 2011. We have a pretty rich history uh, history in WSBK when it comes to Aussie riders. You know, guys like Troy Corsa and Troy Bayless and Christopher Mullen. And I know Rennie, uh, Remy Gardner is coming next season, but I think there was only one Aussie rider ra- racing in World Supersport over the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we normally have the odd Aussie wildcard. Even if we don't have someone full-time in the group, we normally have an Aussie rider that's a wildcard. But all the Aussie superbike riders were busy on the weekend because they had their own round to worry about, um, which Josh Waters won overall, while Mike Jones looks like he's got one hand on the ASBK title with one round to go. But yeah, as you said, in the World Championships, there was just young Ollie Bayless, the 19-year-old son of two-wheel legend Troy Bayless, who was also there on the weekend. Um, young Ollie's at the end of his first season in the World Supersport Championship on one of the work-supported Ducatis. And being the only Aussie in the field, you think maybe he'd have a home track advantage. But truth be told, a lot of the guys at the front of the World Supersport field have so much experience around PI from coming here every year. And Ollie struggled to match that. He's only been racing for a few years. Uh, even so, he was inside the top five after Friday's dry practice sessions. But all the all the mixed conditions heard him over the course of the weekend and he ended up taking 12th and 8th in the two races, which were won by Yerry Montello, who that was his first win in the category and it was a race-long battle between he and another rider who crashed with a couple of laps to go. And on the Sunday, it was newly crowned world champion Dominic Agurta who took the chocolates. And we thank Will for his time. Maybe Santa will bring him one of those fancy watches. Uh, Stefan, speaking of things that we definitely can't afford, it's my favourite time of the week where we play a bit of I Spy with My105.com. I, Stefan, what caught your eye on My105.com this week? 
Well, this week I've chosen something that a P-plater definitely shouldn't be stepping into. <laughs> it's a uh, Formula 5000. It's a uh, 1969 Surtees TS5, which uh, according to the listing, it was a spare tub uh, back in the day. So it didn't race in period, but it was subsequently built up into a very nice looking racing car. It's listed for $195,000. So uh, let's not that uh, let that ruin a good daydream. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is a that is a fair chunk of change. I'm going to stick with the open wheeler theme, uh, but my pick is a Honda Hill Climb Special. Now this baby is powered by a supercharged six cylinder Honda CBX bike engine, which sounds wild enough all on its own. But what I really love about this car, Stefan, is that at some point someone has just decided that bodywork is overrated. Why lug all that fiberglass up a hill when you can just let the wind flow straight into that space frame? I'm sure it's nice and cooling for the driver on that 20-second pass. Uh, and mine is priced uh, at a slightly more palatable $20,000. So uh, that is where my cash is going this week on my105.com. All righty, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Uh, Stefan, this week my Castrol star is going to Andy Chang, who I just mentioned won the Macau Grand Prix. He's a local Macau driver. He was second in the Macau Grand Prix in 2020 and in 2021. He was always kind of close to Charles Leong, but never quite close enough. This year he ramped up his pace massively. Um, He was just uh, in a class of his own, did a brilliant job. I know it's not uh, the full-blown Macau GP that we're used to, but – it's cool to see these local drivers getting their crack at, you know, adding their name to the honour roll. Um, in saying that, let's get the real Macau Grand Prix back ASAP because I do miss that event too. Anyway, Stefan, who gets your Castrol star? I can't go past Sebastian Vettel this week, Andrew. It was mm. a classy way for him to go out on Sunday in Abu Dhabi. It was great to see him score a point in his final F1 race and then uh, also be included in the donuts and the trackside interview afterwards. I thought that was all very uh, nicely done. And I I love the fact, too, that he was on the radio towards the end of the race lamenting the uh, pit strategy. It's good to see him competitive <laughs> right to the end. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.